Ken Wilson is TCU's new linebacker coach, as the team announced on Monday night. Plus, TCU Hoops is rolling with two straight top 10 victories at home. Now they go on the road as they continue the Big 12 slate. And football locked in five defensive backs in one day recently in the transfer portal. We're going to break it all down on this episode of Frogs Insider. Welcome in to Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here alongside Melissa Trebowasser, as always, bringing you all the up-to-date TCU athletics news that you need in your podcast feed every single week. Melissa, what's up? Jamie, I feel like this is set to be an elevated episode because we both are rocking the glasses, which automatically makes us both look and sound smarter, in my opinion. Incredibly so smart. So I, I do feel like this is one the Frog fans are, are going to need to bookmark, which probably means we're going to completely and totally just disaster all over it. But hey, you know what? We're going to have fun. It is what it is. Um, we look smart. We sound smart. And we're both really comfortable in the hoodies yeah. that we're rocking. So this is a nice, un, unintentional, coordinated effort that we've got yes. going on. Um, I'll tell you this, though. I know that although we look the same, you're probably more sore than me. Today. I am. I was going to say I'm rocking some whole home field joggers, but I, I don't know that I can stand up after um, completing a half marathon yesterday. So I am feeling every day of my 44 plus years um, after running 13.1 miles. And uh, the best part about it is I ate whatever I wanted yesterday and I'm not working out probably the rest of the week this week. Perfect. So. Those are both wins in my book. Um, I did win. it. I I didn't die, and um, I got to eat a churro. Survival's really good. Churros yeah. are really good. Kind of on the same level there, really. Yeah. If Agreed. you're if Agreed. you're if you're asking, so well, um, I'm glad that you survived because otherwise this would be a lonely pod, and I've already done one of those recently. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> not every podcast needs to be a solo Jamie mailbag podcast. That's just the people don't <laughs> the people do not need it. Um, but uh, really excited about this episode. So some breaking news came down earlier today on MLK Day when we were recording, which is that TCU now has a linebacker coach, um, rounds out their coaching staff. And there's another um, <clears throat> move that's happening in, in conjunction with that that we'll also talk about in a, in a little bit as well. TCU Hoops gets wins over Oklahoma and Houston, yeah. both really impressive wins. Um, we'll talk about all of that. And then we're also going to talk about the five defensive backs, two safeties and, and three corners that TCU signed out of the transfer portal all in one day, or I guess earned their commitment all in one day um, with the expectation that they'll be on campus starting this week. So yeah. um, some big additions there for what I think I, I think we talked about last time was probably the biggest position of need still on the team or unit of need. On the team, yeah, so. yeah, and it, and it seems like they added some. You know, I, I and I'm not gonna sit sit here and act like I've completely totally studied these guys. I've certainly read up on them. Um, you know, a lot they're they fit the mold of what Sunny Dykes Company have been doing this off season, and that mm -hmm. they're guys with a ton of snaps, a ton of experience, um, mostly starters. Uh, they are mostly all pretty much coming from, you know, lower level, quote unquote, programs. And so it'll be interesting to see how many of these guys are expected to step into starting roles. I think there's at least one or two that that will certainly be in the conversation versus how much of this is is depth and making sure that there's a competitive spring, a competitive fall 
um, and, and constant competition throughout camp is something that we saw was an issue for the secondary specifically, I think this past season. So um, the strategy, it's been talked about ad nauseum, but the strategy is very, very clear for TCU football this fall and it's experience and it's have you put up numbers. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the, you know, you were a highly thought of four or five star recruit that for whatever reason didn't get to see the field a ton at your previous power five stop. Um, now it's more of you're a guy that has production on film. Um, no matter what the level it is, um, no matter what what the uh, you know conference you played in, you've done some things. And TC is not the only big time quote unquote program employing that strategy. So while I'll admit that like it's hard for me to get super fired up about signing a guy from you know uh, uh, Old Dominion, when you look at the tape and you look at you know the year over year improvement. I think that says a lot about these types of players. And the other thing is, is look at the offer list for some of these guys. I mean, TC lost to commit from Cal Poly to Texas A&M. Like that seems to be what a lot of coaches are employing as they kind of get more used to the transfer portal. Yeah, it is. And, and um, you know, I think this is kind of a, a going back to the methodology that really worked for TC in the transfer portal two off seasons ago when they went and got guys like Johnny Hodges mm-hmm. from Navy, Josh Newton from Louisiana Monroe, um, and and Imani just, Bailey, Imani yeah. Bailey from Louisiana, and so you've got a, a list of guys who have a ton of experience, have have done it at their schools uh, at a really successful um, level, and now have the opportunity to come and show that they can not only do that consistently in college, but do that consistently for a Power Five program as well. So pretty exciting. Uh, we'll jump into all of that and some of those names later. Before we get into the full show, though, a little podcast business as always. We are. The TCU podcast for the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. We uh, are available anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Republic of Football Network and you'll find us along with podcasts for every other Division I football program in the state of Texas. If you just want Frogs Insider content, just TCU content, just search for Frogs Insider and our feed will be there with all of the episodes as well. Also, a big thank you to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel Melissa, it's like negative four feels like yeah. temp in Fort Worth right now. So, so sorry. All of the all of the layers of of Hell's Half Acre and Homefield are on my yeah. body. I think at this moment. So yeah, it, you know, I'm getting really soft. Um, having been back in California for two and a half years now, and it was uh, in the 50s today, and it was really really tough on me. Um, so Gosh, please so thoughts sorry. and prayers. Um, but you know, I did have to rock the uh, frog ball hoodie from Hell's Half Acre as we get ever so close to pitchers and catchers and mm-hmm. uh, TCU baseball. I absolutely love this hoodie. It's one of my all time favorites. It's just super comfortable um, as all of their apparel is, but also like the quality. There are so many, like, so many new brands kind of popped up. I feel like around TCU success in athletics. Um, and it's really hit miss with what you get from some of these companies. But um, you've talked a lot about Hell's Half Acre and their polos and different things. This sweatshirt, uh, I mean, you could see just all of the stitching people like the nice, like the metal rivets here for the, I mean, it's, it's outstanding work. Um, they do really, really good work. A great company supporting TCU, supporting TCU athletes, um, just uh, absolutely happy to support them and thankful for their support of us as well. For sure. For sure. Shout out to Steven and, and the whole <clears throat> Hell's Half Acre crew. Great, great guy. Great company. Support them. Tell them, by the way, when you buy stuff from Hell's Half Acre, uh, that Frogs Insider sent you. Just put a little note in there at the when you make their purchase. Um, let them know. Let him know that 
uh, you heard about him through us or just, you know, give us a shout out because we like shout outs and that's pretty fun. Yeah, it's true. Um, all right, Melissa, let's jump in to the first topic of the day. That is TCU has hired a linebacker coach. It is Ken Wilson, former Nevada head coach. Yeah, I was going to say the Big Sky hoodie is super appropriate because he's a he's a couple, I think a two-time Big Sky conference champion, is he not? Or uh, is he a Big Sky? Uh, I don't know. I if might he's have that wrong. Sky. I might big have that wrong. Oh, big West. Big West. Big West. Sorry, big my sky bad. Is, I should know that. Yeah. Big Sky is it's, FCS. Big Sky yes, is Idaho, yeah. Idaho State, Montana, Montana State, right. I, Portland I, State. I mixed up my skies. Colorado my School of Mines, yes. Northern Arizona. We could you're go just on. Really, you're just really kind of, uh, I don't want to say humble right here, just dropping knowledge. Sac State, I believe, as well um uh, sac state is a big west it, it used oh, to be a big okay. sky they moved up to big west well i, I got you there I got better you off there. Big that's sky why i got better off yeah that's that's why i got a little confused there it's because sac state i think was a member there of you sky. go it's now a now a member of the uh, big west, gotcha. so. well he is uh the former nevada head coach didn't have a ton of success as nevada's head coach but has had a lot of success coaching defense wherever he's gone he um also has a, a little bit of a connection to TCU's current defensive coordinator, Andy Avalos, who, when Avalos was in his final year as the defensive coordinator at Oregon, Ken Wilson was his linebacker coach. And so they have a rapport there. Prior to his time at Oregon, Ken Wilson also spent seven years, I believe, on the Washington State staff from 2013 to 2019 as the linebackers coach there under a certain coach named Mike Leach. So there's a connection not only to the current TCU defensive coordinator, but to the same coaching tree that Sonny Dykes has come out of in in the Leach tree. And so, you know, just from those kind of connections, it makes sense that TCU would go in this direction and hire a guy like Ken Wilson. Um, Melissa, I don't know about you, but I like this move for a couple of different, different reasons. The first move, the first reason though, is I think that when you're talking about one of the big challenges that TCU faced defensively last year, and one of the solutions that they were maybe looking to employ in 2024, how can they make the defensive coordinator's life a little bit easier by taking one thing off of his plate? And when you're talking about a defensive coordinator that is in control of so much from a scheme perspective and an implementation perspective and making sure that your position coaches are up to speed and doing the drills that you need them to do and getting the information passed on to the players doing all of that and coaching a position group can be a real challenge Mm -hmm. so bringing in ken wilson to take over the linebackers group and allow andy avalos to just be the defensive coordinator make sure implementation is going in uh, well across the board and then to be the play caller on game days without having to worry about specifics to a position group on game day as well. I think this is going to be a really helpful thing as Avalos tries to get his scheme implemented at TCU moving forward. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think that they're they're so, especially with this new system, they're there's so much expected of the linebackers and there's so much technique, I think, to teach that it's going to be really helpful for Avalos to be able to just focus on kind of the macro and the 30,000 foot view instead of having to drill down with a specific position group. And I don't think it's unfair and it wasn't all because of uh, you know, coaching, but that the linebacking play did not live up to expectations last year. Some of that was injury based, but we saw a lot of injuries in 2022 as well. 
they're able to make it work. And so, you know, when you have a group that is so large in number, and there are a lot of linebackers on this roster, mm-hmm. that is a lot to manage um, for a, a BC making um, his, you know, in his first year at a new place. And so Sonny Dykes being able to do some management of his coaching staff, some reorg, those types of things in order to make a space to have a linebackers coach, I think is a really big deal. And I think it just also is a positive step for Sonny to recognize, you know, not only the weakness and want to make a change at defensive coordinator, but recognize that there was a need to add to the defensive staff and be proactive in making that happen. Um, I, I think that's a real positive. And I mean, Ken Wilson is a lifer. I mean, this, this guy was the youngest defensive coordinator in the country back in 1996 when he started at Nevada. Um, I loved that little note that Mark Cohen threw in there for us. I thought that was great. Um, mm-hmm. But he's been around the game a long time. He's coached a lot of high-level programs. He's been a part of some really impressive staffs. He's recruited an exceptional level, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, I think this is a really positive move for TCU to bring in another veteran voice on that side of the ball um, that really has not been up to the level of expectation the past two seasons. They were super opportunistic in 2022 and in 2023. More often than not, we're not very good. So I'm excited about this move. And I think Ken Wilson is is a really good fit in Fort Worth. I agree. Uh, you know, I think too, um, <clears throat> it's going to help Avalos to have a guy who's coached on his staff before mm-hmm. to help think of it. Th- this is kind of the the analogy that I was thinking of earlier today. Uh, and that's, you know, how vital Alana Lee was to this offensive mm-hmm. line in 2022, kind of working as a translator between AJ Ricker and the rest of the offensive mm-hmm. line that can be Ken Wilson to an extent with the rest of the position coaches because all of the other position coaches are, are staying the same, right? You've still got coach buckles at corners, Paul Gonzalez at safeties. You've got Jamarcus McFarland at defensive line. And so Ken Wilson can be almost an intermediary to say, Hey, this is really kind of what the expectation is for these position groups. This is what Andy Evelos likes to do. This is kind of what his expectations are from his position coaches, X, Y, and Z, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's um, a great analogy. I think it's really valuable to have a guy who's who's done this before because, like you mentioned, the scheme is so complex. There are a couple different hybrid hybrid positions that ultimately probably fall under the linebacker coach. Um, and so having a guy who's experienced in this defense is going to be, I think, a really helpful thing moving forward for the Frogs. And like you mentioned, recruiting-wise, uh, so here's the 2020 uh, um, recruiting class for, for the University of Oregon which uh, I think was, hang on, let me make sure here, um, was one of the years that Ken Wilson was a major recruiter on that staff. So uh, you've got five-star linebacker Justin Flo. You've got five-star linebacker Noah Sewell. You've got four-star defensive back Dante Manning. Um, you have, uh, uh, you know, those are three of, of Oregon's top four rated recruits right there you go to the 2021 class which i believe was rated top seven overall in the country um on by 24 7 sports and you've got um you know another four-star linebacker and keith brown uh another four-star defensive back and avante dickerson um just all of these guys that came through jonathan flow as well as a safety um that that came through uh, and had a lot of success in this defense um not to mention you know i know we talked about andy avalos coaching this guy when he was at oregon 
Ken Wilson coached him for a moment too. And that's uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. He's currently, yeah, he's not you know, bad. You know, top yeah, five pick bad. in the NFL draft a couple of years ago yeah. for the New York Giants. So this is, these are two guys who really understand how to get talent in the building and how to get the most out of that talent on the field. Um, and so I, I do think that the Ken Wilson addition is a really good one for TCU. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think that we needed a, a boost of enthusiasm and excitement for the fan base. And, um, you know, the, the only there's two ways to do that. And it's either bring in some big names um, uh, as far as athletes, uh, replacing your quarterback is always going to get people excited, no matter if it's good or bad. They're always just excited <laughs> about transfer quarterbacks. Sure. Right. Uh, well, almost always. Um but uh, yeah, or or you make you make a coaching change, and and Sonny Dykes needed to make a change, um, and needs to make a change to prevent his seat from getting hot too, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is he made some good moves. Um, he's taken, you know, he's had to replace coordinators on both sides of the ball in his first two years at TCU. Uh, he's taken big swings. Um, they can be home runs or strikeouts. Uh, I think the jury's still out on on Kendall Bryles, but it certainly was a, a quote unquote risky move. Um, Avalos, there's some level of risk involved based on how his situation at Boise ended but it doesn't seem to be an issue amongst players and that, I think that's the most important thing as far as like a telling thing um but this this looks like a good move but I think bringing Ken Wilson on um for stability experience and like you said familiarity um looks like it should be a real positive change and a positive momentum builder for TC on the defensive side of the ball in 2024 the the move that allowed this move to happen uh which we should note as well because you're only allowed 10 assistant coaches um, that are um, allowed to coach and go on the road to recruit and do all of the other things. Uh, it, this all means that Mark Tomerdahl is moving into an off-field role for TCU. He's expected to stay on staff. He's going to still be doing a lot of work um, on staff. He's going to be helping make sure that special teams is still in order. Um, but he will be the, the change that's internal uh, that opens up that that coaching spot for Ken Wilson. So Mark Tomerdahl moving to an off-field role to make room for, for Wilson as, as a linebacker coach. Which also I think is, is really a, a perfect situation. Um, you want to keep him on special teams. I know TC special teams struggled last year. I think that had as much to do with depth as it did Tom at all. Um, but his willingness to stick around in Fort Worth, um, one of the, I, I know you and I both just think so highly of him as a person. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite interviews to do. I uh, love sitting down and chatting football with him. He's the best. Um, but this, there was a greater position of need. And if you can still get that special teams help, but but not lose that position group help. I, I think that's a win-win. I, we don't want to be Iowa State and try to do this thing without a special teams coach, but mm-hmm. being able to do Tom Riddell as an off-field role, I think is a win for Sonny Dykes. Um, and again, I think it speaks to what Sonny Dykes is trying to build big picture that that Tom Riddell, a guy who's been doing this forever, who probably easily could have found another job or probably easily retired, said, no, I'm willing to take, take this position change um, and stick around because he believes in what's happening in Fort Worth. Yeah, and I, and, and I think that says a lot about the current culture of the program. I think that says a lot about the head man. And, um, you know, I think it says a lot about Mark Tomardall's comfortability yeah. in, in Fort Worth as well, because, yeah. you know, this is his second stint, stint um, with the Horned Frogs. But, yeah, overall, I think a, a really positive move for TCU football to bring in another position coach, another really good recruiter, um, and another solid defensive mind to, to add to the staff and improve what was, like you said, a really embattled unit last mm-hmm. year at the linebacker position. So, uh, all good, I think, on that front. Yeah. Uh, speaking of linebackers, you know, TC brought in some pretty pretty exciting uh, transfers linebacker portal, but uh, it's really the safety and the cornerback position. It's the defensive mm-hmm. backfield that needed an overhaul. And 
when you say they have been making moves, they have been <laughs> making moves. Uh, it, it has been insane just to see just the sheer volume of players to that position CC's brought in this offseason. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about some of these these transfers and what we should yeah, be excited about? Let's uh, let's get it after it. So they they brought in five guys, um, all of whom committed on the same day, which I believe. Gosh, I'm, my days are getting blurred yeah, together here. All, I was. Uh, it might have been Friday, I think it was Saturday. Friday. I think it was Friday and Saturday. Um, Cause I was trying to get ready for TCU to play Houston and hoops. And I was sick on Friday a little bit and just, you know, anyways, less about me, more about these DBs, um, two safeties and three cornerbacks uh, are in the fold. Now that brings TCU's transfer class to 19 players transferring in, which I think is bigger, uh, a bigger transfer class than anybody really anticipated this season. Yeah. But um, when you lose a couple guys to the portal, it was a smaller graduating class. Um, but they're still that you know they identified that they needed more bodies in the secondary, and when you lose uh, one transfer who's already signed scholarship paperwork to another university, you might as well just bring in a handful more um, to kind of backfill that a little bit. But yes, Richard Tony, uh, safety from Nevada, is is um, one of the guys that's in Andre Selden. Uh, from New Mexico State, who actually his career started at Michigan, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Cameron Smith, who uh, had a really, really strong sa- uh, season at safety for Memphis this year with, I believe, 75 tackles, three interceptions, um, had had an excellent, excellent year in Memphis secondary. Um, Lamarion James from Old Dominion is one guy that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, his coverage grade on PFF last year was like 75.7, wow. which would have been one of the highest coverage grades in TCU secondary in 2023. Um, so, you know, this is that opportunity, kind of like you were saying earlier on the show. He did it at Old Dominion. Now can he do that at the P5 yeah. level? This is a really good opportunity for him to show his skill set and also an opportunity for TCU to get a guy in who can contribute right away. And then Javon McIver Jr. from Austin P is another cornerback that's coming in um, uh, who's going to add some depth as well to that unit that's losing. You know, Josh Newton, uh, they lost three guys to the transfer portal as well out of the cornerback's room. Uh, and so to add, you know, McIver, James, and Selden, not to mention Travis um, McLeod, the kid from Utah who committed a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's a really, really good job by Buckles and Dykes and the rest of the coaching staff in the portal to get experienced, talented guys who can fill in those spots uh, and, and compete for starting roles. What I also love about those is I believe all five of those guys are redshirt sophomores, if I'm correct. And so they're guys that have played a lot of football, but guys that have more than one year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to patch and play um, while you continue to develop guys around them. But, you know, when you look at the jump for a kid coming out of Old Dominion or Austin P, if they can contribute in any way, shape or form this fall, that's amazing. But what you're hoping is that you're getting them up to speed, getting them opportunities so that they can play this year, maybe in the rotation, but the following year, maybe they're ready to be P5 starters. If they, if there is a little bit of a learning curve, which there probably will be, especially in, you know, the, the big 12 and, and how explosive those offenses can be. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're great there. It's, you know, I, I've seen this t- discussed a couple of different places, but it's funny to see the the difference in style of corner between what um, Gillespie was looking for versus what Avalos is looking for. Mm-hmm. These guys are a little bit smaller. Um, you know, they're not all the six footers, but it does kind of bring you back to the Gary Patterson days when it seemed like we never had a corner over five, nine, but those corners were always super, super elite and super competitive. So what I'm hoping we see is some guys who are willing to get physical 
guys that have that that top end speed to keep up with the wide receivers in this conference and guys that that have shown they can do it and have stats but will continue to get better you know year over year um and have you know potentially two years to play which to me is, is one of the biggest wins of this this group is there is a lot of experience but there's also a lot of youth you know mm-hmm. relative to youth at least for a portal player so that I think that's super exciting to see and um it like I said like we needed to see a change on the defensive end of the ball and and there's going to be a lot of new faces a very different scheme and obviously new staff as well yeah and you know you you talk about we've talked about this on the show before um the the challenge that Sonny Dykes inherited from a roster management perspective because of the attrition that TCU had seen in the 2020 and 2021 recruiting classes. Mm-hmm. If you look at all of these guys from an eligibility perspective, they kind of slot in to that 2021 yeah. class. And so they That's have true. a couple years, a year or two left of eligibility, maybe three, depending on COVID situations or whatever. But um, they, they all have, like you said, multiple years to play and they fill essentially almost a class of need because mm-hmm. you're, you're still you're probably not fully ready to get some of these freshmen and sophomores involved at the level that they might need to otherwise um these are guys that again are very experienced and talented uh fit the mold fit the need and and hopefully are capable of kind of stepping in right away and, and making a difference and we're going to see some more attrition out of spring um tc is mm-hmm. definitely over the scholarship limit at this point like you said that transfer class was larger than expected yeah. and so there's going to be some guys that figure out where they slot in on the depth chart after spring ball and, and take off for better opportunities um and there's also still probably you know i think everybody would love to see another running back maybe come in uh there, there maybe one or two more players on the offensive line if possible i mean i think that there's still some need so it'll, there'll still be some shuffling here but mm-hmm. you've got to imagine they're pretty comfortable with what they They've done um, over the last couple of months between high school and transfer portal. And um, it'll be exciting to see these guys start to duke it out in spring. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I'd be surprised if they brought in a running back at this point, just because of how full up that that, that unit is right now. Um, they really like Cam Cook. And yeah. no, he doesn't have a ton of experience. He is a little bit younger. Um, but I think at this point, I, I pretty much trust Anthony Jones implicitly with whatever he yeah. wants to do with his running backs because of the guys that he's put in the league in his career yeah. and uh, how he's developed guys. But the reality is, is behind Cam Cook, you've still got four returning guys in that room and you've got two kids in the freshman class. So which is it's, why just, it's a pretty full group. I don't expect that we will see that same group of names after spring ball. That's I, I think oh. that some of those guys are probably going to, I, I have a lot of faith in Cam Cook. Um, I don't know who, what happens if he gets hurt, sure. you know, and I think in, in the college game, um, there's not a lot of programs that have a bell cow anymore. I think you need two guys. I mean, TC was at its best in the run game when they had, uh, you know, Kendra Miller and Mari DeMarcado. And then you saw Monty Bailey averaged almost 10 yards a carry that year because he only had to carry the ball two to four times a game. Right. Um, and so I think if you're saying, okay, Cam Cook's the guy, like, are you expecting him to run the ball 25 times? What's Trey Sanders going to be able to give you? And, you know, guys like, like uh, Trent Battle, Corey Wren, have shown in spots that they can be effective, but you know, those guys are both guys that have been on campus and haven't carved out huge roles. So especially this year when there was opportunity, um, you know, cause it was really just Imani Bailey. Um, I, I think, I think that's, that's a fair concern, but like you said, mm-hmm. there's not really a spot right now. So it'll be interesting to see if one of those guys steps up, which I think is absolutely possible. Or if, if Sonny Dykes and Anthony Jones kind of say, Hey, 
go go seek greener pastures because we're going to go looking for someone to replace you this spring. I think either or both things could happen. Sure. You know, with the second transfer rule that came down recently with, uh, you know, you're allowed to to transfer for a second time without punishment. Yeah. That's absolutely a possibility. It's absolutely a possibility at a couple other positions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of that will start to, to play out over the course of spring football here in just just a few months, really. You know, baseball yeah. baseball practice starts in about 10 days. Um, and then football's not far behind that, yeah, uh, which is which is pretty crazy. Um, but we, uh, we don't need to be jumping ahead to spring football because holy cow, do we have a basketball team to cheer for right now? Mm-hmm. We do, we do. Um, I do want to shout out, make sure that we shout out Homefield Apparel really quickly as well. Our our lovely sponsor, uh, HomefieldApparel.com. Um, I obviously am wearing the Big Sky hoodie. You've known that because you were I- listening to this episode, and also. Uh, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you see the Big Sky hoodie as well. Um, I think I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, but uh, Mark Campbell, TCU women's basketball coach, Mark Campbell, is, loves this hoodie as well. He he um, called it out uh, at one point when we were uh, in the middle of a, a media uh, availability Um and asked if it was worn for him. And I had to, I had to break the news to him and say, no, it was worn because it's the most comfortable hoodie that I own. Um, so frogs and 15 is the code that'll get you 15% off of anything at homefieldapparel.com. The first time that you use it, the second time and beyond it, it will give you 10% off of anything at homefieldapparel.com. Yes. Let's talk hoops. Cause Man. I, this team, holy cow. Oof. They are fun. Who, uh, I- yeah. I, I was watching, you know, I was I was down for my half marathon and, and it was at Disneyland. And so I was watering on the park uh, Saturday night. You know, we were just kind of hanging out and getting getting ready to run. And I had the game on my phone and, and my sister was getting very annoyed with me because I was very much ignoring her um, while I was watching the end of that game, especially. Um, man, like, you know, I, I think the concerns were fair throughout the preseason. You know, we saw what happened with Clemson and Nevada and you start to think, man, this team is playing good teams and it just doesn't look like they're the same caliber. And then conference play comes along and any doubts that you had were so quickly erased because it took them some time to kind of figure it out, took a lineup change. But since that lineup change has occurred and guys have really gotten comfortable in their roles, um, you know, Avery Anderson and Trey Tennyson have been great moving into the starting role. Jameer Nelson has been a revelation as, as kind of the leader of that bench group and and kind of in a six-man role. Um, Iman, uh, Emmanuel Miller is playing outstanding. And Micah PV, man, hat, did that kid have a ball game on Saturday against Houston? Uh, they are playing so well and they're playing multiple styles of well especially on the offensive end they're able to get it done a lot of different ways and we've seen that through all three games uh the atmosphere on saturday sounded amazing jamie uh i I can't imagine what it looks like being there it was nuts it it was as loud as i've heard it and and i do want to shout out uh the tcu students that came back early from winter break to come and 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 be in the student section and watch that game because uh tcu had i think the longest stretch in the country of uh, between home games, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then I think they had one of the longest stretches in the country between home games where school was in session. Wow. The last home, so, and that still has not happened over winter break yet. Yeah. So the Iowa State game on Saturday, the 20th, will be the first home game with class in session since November 27th. That's 53 days. Wow where there has not been a home game with an actual student section. Wow. And 
so shout out to the students that showed up on Saturday, got back early, even though they had a whole weekend left of break. Uh, they were loud. They were chaotic, as they always are. They rushed the court like they should have done for beating a top two team mm-hmm. in the country. Uh, and and they were they really kind of powered the rest of the fans in the stadium to be loud, to stay loud, to get on their feet. The rest of the fans take their their cue from that student section Mm -hmm. in Schollmeyer. And so it was really cool to see them show up for this team because this team deserves it. I think they've proven it at that point. Um, Uh, It was really cool. I was was on uh, Big 12 radio uh, earlier today. And one of the things the host uh, brought up was that it seems like TCU really, like it's not something you've been able to say consistently throughout the course of history has a real home court advantage now. And, mm -hmm. And for them to say that, and I was able to say like, listen, You're saying that from watching that Houston game when the students aren't even back yet, you know, so like Oklahoma and Houston, like you mentioned, some student, a good portion of students showed up for that game, but like, just wait until Saturday. If TCU can get past a really tricky road game at Cincinnati on Tuesday night, even if they don't, I think that the environment that Schollmeyer on Saturday is going to be absolutely insane. And if that can propel the frogs, to you know winning almost all of their games on their home floor uh that alone is going to get them into the big 12 tournament big or the ncaa tournament you pick up one or two road wins which i think this team is more than capable of doing you play you you should be three and oh in conference right now you've already got two top 10 wins you're going to have opportunities to get more top 10 wins throughout this season uh if they can just be really good at home uh, I, I think the ceiling for this team um, as far as getting set up well for March Madness is, is I mean, it really, their ceiling doesn't exist. The limit does not exist. Shout out to Mean Girls. And also shout out to the Big 12 as a whole because eight ranked teams Oof. in this week's AP poll. TCU checking in Insane. at number 19. It's their first time being ranked this season. But also, I mean, you've got Kansas, Houston, uh, Baylor, Texas Tech, yeah. Iowa State, uh, I'm missing some. Oklahoma is still ranked. Obviously, TCU is ranked. And then there's one more that I'm forgetting. Um, uh, Did I say Houston? I, yes, Kansas. I think. Kansas. Yeah, Houston, Kansas. Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Baylor. TCU, Iowa State. BYU, Iowa State, and Texas yep. Tech. Um, yep. All ranked in the top 25. TC, uh, the, Big Ten, the, Big, the Big 12 has 10 teams ranked in the top 50, both in the Ken Palm and the net rankings. They're the only conference to have double-digit teams ranked that high. This is the best conference in college basketball, hands down. Yeah, you can't even argue it this year. Can't even right. argue it. You can't. And TCU is establishing themselves as a front runner, which I think is really cool Same. because yeah. – I mean, you look at what they've done, and this is something that Jamie Dixon teams have done over the past few years, is they play an underwhelming non-conference schedule. They don't always look great doing it. Um, And then they gain momentum and they pick up some steam once conference play hits as all of the transfers and all of the new faces start to get more comfortable and understand their roles more. And we're starting to see that, especially with Avery Anderson and Jameer Nelson Jr. There was a chart from uh, CBB Analytics that I posted on Twitter earlier on Monday that had me absolutely laughing my butt off because it's just a a little chart that shows points in the paint and fast break points per program. And it kind of charts them out, uh, points uh, in the paint on the x-axis, fast break points on the y-axis, then the little team logo, kind of like the the charts our, our good friend Stats Award does. Um, TCU is like in the very top right corner because they're mm-hmm. the best team in the Big 12. Well, they're the best team in the country when it comes to fast break points. 
And then they're the best team in the Big 12 when it comes to points in the paint per game. Uh, and then you've got like a little clump down here, a little clump over here, a little clump, and then it's just a TCU like yeah. in the in it that stratosphere. Yeah. Um, and that's a signal of a couple of different things, but really it's a signal of buy-in from these guards because Avery Anderson and Jameer Nelson Jr. are both for their career, they were more known as scorers. And they had to be, right? I mean, they were on teams where the depth maybe wasn't as good. And Avery Anderson on an Oklahoma State team that has suffered some attrition and some really just tough situations handed down to them from the NCAA um, where he was relied upon to score the ball a lot. Same with Jameer Nelson over at Delaware where it's, hey, you've got to be our dude that goes out and gets 25 every night. That's not the case at TCU. What Jamie Dixon wants from them is efficient scoring, but even better passing and distribution mm-hmm. uh, and just running the offense well. And they're starting to grow into that role. Avery Anderson has 11 assists in their last two games. He had the assist on Emmanuel Miller's backdoor cut with six oh. seconds left. That was Rewatching just that play. A, such, such a smart, smart play from Anderson to, and, and, to look off the defender and then get yes. the ball inside. The way it was orchestrated, when you know that Jamie Dixon did not have the ability to set that play up, but just the way that Emmanuel Miller and Avery Anderson continuously worked together, the in, the out, the you know, like they, I mean, it was it was poetry. It was absolutely. Oh, I rewatched that play like three or four times today when I had a chance to really sit down and kind of watch back through that game, mm-hmm. um, and and that that to me was the like this team in the half court executing at that moment with a like you said a player who's been a primary scorer really understanding how to be a playmaker and and Jameer Nelson I think deserves a ton of credit in that in that area too is is to be to have the buy-in from the top down in that program to play three minutes without a timeout and execute that play in that moment I I mean that's that's veteran experience depth and that's just team chemistry that is clearly off the charts and this is being really smart being really really heady players and Dixon said as much in the post game we saw a video from the the team account that's that had him in the locker room telling the yeah. team that they were the smartest team in the country because they had to be because they didn't have any timeouts, like you mentioned, for the last 303 Brilliant. of the game. And Absolutely. and they they executed incredibly well. I've been so impressed with how they've grown in their half court offense this season mm-hmm. because it was not good at the beginning of no. the year. They were terribly and it hasn't inefficient. Been good in years. No, and it hasn't. They've been terribly inefficient in past years. They were terribly inefficient again to start the year, and they kind of got into this habit of just, well, that's not the greatest part of our game, but we can overcome that because we're so good in transition and we're going to out defense you. That's not going to be the case on, uh, uh, on a day-to-day basis in the big yeah. 12. And on Saturday they were facing literally the most efficient and the best scoring defense in the country. They shot 55% in the second yeah. half. And a lot of that has to do with how they were moving the ball in the half court, a massive, massive, massive shout out to Ernest Uday and Xavier Cork and Asamo Safa for the couple of minutes that he played as well. Because one of the things that Jamie Dixon has wanted to do for the last couple of games is get the ball inside more. And especially against a team like Houston, who plays an incredibly physical brand of, of defense, especially from their backcourt and out on the perimeter. They love to trap. They love to especially trap screens, right? And so they TC overcame that by getting the ball inside. And Ernest Uday had a couple opportunities for free throws that didn't work out, but he's yeah. still, you know, a, co- a couple of buckets under the rim, nine rebounds, including four on the offensive glass. Xavier Cork shows that he's still really versatile with yeah. the ball in his hands as well, both as a scorer and as a passer. Um, 
And that opened up so much more for TCU in the half court. It allowed Trey Tennyson to slip into the corner a couple times and hit some big three pointers. It allowed, um, you know, a defender had to respect Xavier Cork when he stepped out of the paint a couple feet. And then that gave, you know, better driving lanes to Anderson and Jameer Nelson. Um, you know, it, it, everything opens up when you have big men on the inside who are capable passers and are a threat to score um, because it allows uh, it allows your offense to to spread some people out a little bit more. And obviously having a 46% three-point shooter, yeah. Trey Tennyson helps too. Helps too. You know, it's, it's going to be really interesting because you come off that big potential emotional letdown at Kansas and you beat two top 10 teams at mm-hmm. home. And now you face um, a team that I think was picked to finish dead last in the conference, but has proven to be a lot more competitive uh, than we expected in Cincinnati. And, and they have looked really solid. They have some nice skins on their wall as well so far this season. And so if you can go up Cincinnati on Tuesday and get a win, you come home, you've got Iowa State at home. TCU always struggles with Iowa State in football and basketball. Thank God they don't have a baseball team, right? Um, <laughs> so that's, that's going to be a tricky, a tricky game, I think, um, obviously. But you get them in your home court. And like you said, the students will be back. Um, and then you go to Oklahoma State, which right now has got to look like your most winnable road game of the season. Mm-hmm. And then all hell breaks loose, you know. So so this three-game stretch, um, there's a very realistic opportunity to go 3-0. and But you, I feel like you've got to go 2-1, and right? Like you've got to get two of those wins. And you do not want to let down um, in Cincinnati tomorrow night, Tuesday night. That if they can, if they can go three in a row and knock that one off, I think that as fans, we can be looking really, really good. As like you said, that's not just being a competitive team in the Big Twelve, but but a not a front runner still would be a big leap for me because like this conference is so brutal. But you want to be a top three or four seed in the conference tournament to be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament, TCU is absolutely positioning themselves to be one of those teams. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is TCU was in the position to be one of those seeds last year. Yeah. And then Mike Miles got hurt. Yeah. And you saw how devastating an injury to one player was last season. The frogs have been without Jacoby Coles for three games before this past game on Saturday. They have, I think, right now, the ability to overcome losing one or two players because of their depth. Yeah, um, they play because, because I think their depth is better than it's been in, in recent yeah. years. I don't know that they have a top-end Mike Miles kind of guy yet, but I do think that they have more guys, you know, three through ten, who are capable uh, to uh, of executing on any given night. And yeah. And that's so critical in a league where – you're going to have nights where you get in foul trouble. Guys are going to get banged up um, and you're going to need different guys to step up in, in different moments. And, and it, it just, it's a testament to how well Jamie Dixon has constructed this roster and how well he's handled the transfer portal the last few years. There are not many teams in this conference who have more depth than TCU. There's mm. probably more high end talent on other rosters, but when you've got 10 guys that can play meaningful minutes um, and have shown they can contribute in big time moments, you know, that that's a huge, huge win for TCU in this conference, because like you said, like it's always felt like the frogs were an injury away from things, you know, plummeting downhill. Shoot. We've seen this on, on the women's side, right. Cause they haven't had the opportunity to build the depth yet in year one. Um, but because of, of the amount of talent TCU has on this roster, you feel like there's another guy that can step up. Now 
it'd be really hard to replace some of these guys because of what they do in the entire facet of the game. But it's not like you're going to lose the one guy that can score in the half court. It's not like you're mm-hmm. going to lose, you know, one, the one guy that can play really, really good defense. Um, you hope that everybody stays healthy for TCU to have their best opportunity in this league. But at the end of the day, like you said, um, you know, they, they suffered without Jacoby Coles for three games and they went one, you know, one of them uh, before he, he came back and was able to play some, some good minutes on Saturday. But uh, yeah, I, it's, I'm super excited. Like, I, I don't, I don't know that if you had told me at the beginning of this year that TCU would be two and one their first three games, having played uh, ten, you know, three top ten teams, and their only loss would be a super controversial one in Lawrence, I would have been all right. Like, where are we booking? Like, I'm booking my flight for the Big Twelve tournament. I'm, <laughs> I'm saving my money for the NCAA tournament. Like this, this thing, this thing might really happen. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is the year we finally get past that first weekend. Uh, it's certainly hope springs anew right now, doesn't it? Well, the final fours in Phoenix this year. And if there's one oh. thing I know, horn frogs thrive in the desert, Melissa. They do thrive in the desert. It's also a really easy flight for me. Not that that should be considered, but that, that turns out it's, turns out it's not too bad of a drive either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, at you least from BFW. That. Um, a yeah. couple quick notes about Cincinnati, because that is who TCU plays on Tuesday night. That game is set for a 6 p.m. tip off on ESPN. Plus, uh, the Bearcats have lost their last two games. The latest was a 62 to 59 defeat at the hands of number 14 Baylor in Waco on Saturday um they also which holy hell playing Baylor in Waco within three points for Cincinnati yeah they and they they were in control of that game for the vast majority of it Mm -hmm. until the very last couple of minutes let it slip away they also uh they dropped a one-point home loss to the University of Texas uh earlier in the week as well a game that they led a game that they shot the three ball incredibly well in um and Texas kind of just outlasted them uh, in the final few minutes of that game as well. And, you know, Cincinnati went on the road and beat a BYU team that has been really impressive so far this year. Um, So this is not a team that TCU can take lightly, uh, just like any other Big 12 uh, team in the league this year. Um, They're led in scoring by Victor Lakin, who's scoring 13.6 points. He's also pulling down 7.7 rebounds. He's He's a really, really good big man. And we've seen at times this year, TCU struggle with really efficient big men. We saw that with with PJ Hall uh, at Clemson. We saw that in in the Houston game with Juwan Roberts, who had a 20.13 rebound double-double, and he also had five assists, right? He had a great game uh, in that win uh, for TCU. But, um, you know, this is an opportunity, I think, for TCU to maybe start to to show that they can overcome – good interior players for the other team. And this is another opportunity to carry some of this momentum forward from just what was an incredible week. Yeah. Should be fun. I'm fired up to watch. I I know that much. And and I think that this is going to be watch much, must watch TV for uh, TC fans going forward. And that's super exciting. Absolutely. All right, Melissa. I I got to be loaf of the oven, Jamie. Let's let's go get that meatloaf out of the oven. Um, Frog fans, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Frogs Insider. We will be back next week talking more TCU hoops. Probably have a little women's hoops update in there as well. Um, And then, you know, we're getting into the heart of baseball season with practice kicking up in about 10 days. So you're going to start hearing a lot more about Frog Ball USA from the both of us. Um, So look forward to all of that. Make sure that you have liked and subscribed wherever you can get your podcasts and on the YouTube channel. Make sure you're following Melissa on Twitter at the coach Melissa and me at Frog Preacher. uh, And we will talk to you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.